Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started into the Word today, I have a quick story to tell you. Do you guys like stories? Be into stories? Okay, so I want to begin with this story. I know a man, and this man, he was tired. He was really tired. This man, he had four teenage daughters, four teenage daughters, and a wife whom he loved very much, and he was really blessed, and he would never say otherwise. But his wife had actually decided that she wanted to go back to school to become a full-time student, to embark upon a career, a new career. And that took about two years, and all of this took a not insignificant amount of strain on the man. So the man was tired, really tired. And then this man had an idea. He said, a vacation. A vacation is just the thing. Let's get away together. Let's have some fun together. Let's make some memories together. And so a plan began to take shape. This man found a cheap condo at a ski hill and thought, hmm, a ski trip would be just the thing. He had nothing but fond memories of his own ski trip as a youth. And so he decided, surely I can give my children a ski trip that they will never forget. (laughs) So he booked the condo, and he bought the lift tickets, and he scoured Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace for all the ski gear that they would need because none of his children actually had their own ski gear at the time. So he found great deals on all of that. Then the day finally came and he he piled his family into the car and all the gear and they drove the eight hours to Quebec and everyone was in a good mood, believe it or not. And they arrived at the hill and the condo was perfect. It was better than the pictures. And the ski hill was glorious. Crisp snow, no lift lines. The family, happy, getting along. Just enjoying, you know, all those like mood-enhancing benefits of fresh air and sunshine and exercise. The first day on the slopes was amazing, better than the man could have hoped for. And then, the second day. (laughs) Oh, we had some good music to play there, but I'll just keep going. (laughs) There it is. There it is. There it is. The second day began much like the first, but it ended quite differently. Two runs into what promised to be another amazing day on the slopes. The man said, hey kids, why don't we go try that little run off in the trees there? You know, the one with all the bumps. It doesn't look that steep. It can't be that hard. It will be fun but it wasn't fun. His kids made it down ahead of him, unscathed and laughing, and and he was determined to ride this run well, which generally means fast. And suddenly the end was in sight. Three more bumps, two more bumps, and one more bump, and woo! That fourth bump came out of nowhere took that man completely by surprise. He flew through the air. He landed on a hard patch of ice, but first with what felt like the force of a nuclear bomb. 
He screamed in pain. He couldn't breathe. The wind got knocked out of him, and it took a long time coming back. His wife saw the whole thing happen, like in slow motion. And she ran up the hill, and eventually ski patrol was called, and this man was tobogganed down the hill on a backboard, and eventually into the emergency room in a local Quebec hospital, where he discovered that he had, in fact, broken his back. That he had an unstable fracture, for all you medical nerds and doctors out there, an unstable fracture of the L1 vertebrae, and that he better lie down and not move until emergency surgery could be performed, or else risk paralysis. The man may or may not have lightly cursed at this moment. <laughs> Just, and he could be heard muttering under his breath, why me, God? Why is this happening to me? I think by now most of you know this man is actually me. <laughs> I am the Clark Griswold of this fun family adventure. I broke my back on a ski trip and spent the rest of my vacation in a Quebec hospital room. I do only have two biological daughters, but at the time I had two exchange daughters who have since gone home. I want to give a shout out uh, to our online audience and especially to Teresa and Yeti who are tuning in from Europe. Miss you girls. So after all that, I have to ask you guys, can I get a witness? Like has anyone else ever planned for something to go so perfectly right? only to watch it go so horribly wrong. <laughs> I mean, or broader, like has anyone else in this room today ever just gone through difficult times, whether you expected them or not? I don't even have to ask the question really because I already know the answer. You have, you are, life is tough, pain is inevitable. Welcome to church. <laughs> All right. But for real, come on, I know many of you guys have encountered sickness, you've encountered loss, addiction, um, financial pressure, unexpected injury or trauma, um, betrayal, bullying, mental illness, the list goes on. No one gets through this life without facing some kind of trouble. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. We don't like to hear the trouble part, right? That's not something we're always prepared to deal with. In fact, the religion of our secular society in this cultural moment is actually good feelings. All right? It's good feelings. If it feels good, do it. If it feels bad, you don't do it. If it hurts, something went wrong. Something went off the rails. So we got to get back to the good feelings. Right? we got to get back to the ease and to the comfort because that's where our sense of contentment comes from. Right? That's where our sense of happiness comes from. That's where our sense of joy comes from. But what about the bad times? Right? What do we do when we find ourselves up against real trouble in life like I found myself up against in that hospital room? And this is where I want to turn to Scripture. This is our main passage uh, for this morning. Today we're actually starting a new series, a summer series in the book of James. Uh, and if you're wondering why I chose to speak about pain and suffering on a holiday weekend, the answer is I didn't. Uh, this is actually just what James chapter 1 is about. So that's what we're diving into. Are you ready? All right, if you've got your Bible with you today, open up to James chapter 1, uh, verse 2, verses 2 to 4. And let's look at what it says here. It says, Dear brothers and sisters... When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Okay, first of all, how many of you know that there are just some verses in the Bible that are tough? Like, I don't personally like this statement, James. I don't like it. You're telling me I should be joyful when troubles come? What about my comfort? What about my ease? That's where my joy comes from, James. Getting my spinal column, kind of Frankenstein, back together in a Quebec hospital room is an opportunity for joy? Come on, James. What do you know about trouble anyway? That's where my mind goes. I don't know if anyone else is with me on that. But as it turns out, James knows quite a bit about trouble. So quick history lesson. James, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was an early leader of the original OG church in Jerusalem. So when Peter and Paul and a lot of the other disciples left Jerusalem to spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, James actually became the pastor of that Jerusalem congregation. And that congregation wasn't full of people, you know, driving Bentleys or snacking on caviar. Like, that congregation wasn't full of people living their best life now, if you know what I mean. No, first century uh, Christians were particularly and almost exclusively poor Jewish Christians. And under the Roman occupation, a lot of them, a lot of the farmers, had their land appropriated by the empire. And those that didn't have it taken away from them, they actually lost their land due to heavy taxation. And so most early Christians, first of all, they were poor and Jewish. They were tenant farmers, which means they worked land that they didn't own, or they were day workers. So they just traveled around looking for opportunities to find work. And when they found work, it didn't pay particularly well. And so that community uh, just experienced all the kinds of trouble that a poor community in the first century would have experienced. So they experienced uh, hunger, malnutrition, disease, Early or untimely death, uh, they experienced exploitation and abuse by the wealthy class. Not to mention the fact that early Christians, actually in the first three centuries, were mercilessly persecuted by the Roman Empire. So yeah, I think James likely knew something about trouble. So when he writes these lines, uh, he's actually trying, I think, to comfort and encourage this group of people that are really hard-pressed. Like He's essentially saying, I know life is tough. It's beyond tough, and there isn't much hope of it getting a lot better for you right now. Thanks, James. But you can get better, right? Let your joy come from a God who cares way more about your character than your comfort because he's going to use all of this to make you better. So back to that hospital room. Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? I think why is the first question we always ask, isn't it? It's the first place we go. Like if we can just figure out why, maybe we can make sense of this disaster that's just happened to us. But you know what I've found? Why isn't the right question. It's just not the right question. It's a normal question. It's a natural question. A lot of our biblical heroes they ask that question themselves. But why just won't get you the answers that you're looking for? 
Has anyone found that to be true? Why just won't get you the answers you're looking for? Because honestly, there isn't always a good reason. Like everything happens for a reason is not true. At least on the front end. It can become true on the back end. We'll talk about that. But there's not always a good reason because sometimes the cause of your suffering is you. Right? Sometimes the cause of your suffering is someone else. Sometimes the cause of your suffering are kind of larger socioeconomic and political uh, things that are in place. And sometimes even God himself will lead us into the wilderness. Like the Bible's full of examples of that where he's led people into the wilderness. But often, and I would actually say very often, the only reason we suffer is because this world is broken. Right? And all sorts of broken things happen every single day. And by the way, did you know that God's will is not always done here on earth? It's just not. Why would Jesus, like think about the Lord's Prayer. Why would Jesus teach us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if God's will was always done on earth? It's not. Sometimes your will is done. Right? Sometimes my will is done. Sometimes the guy who decided to have one too many and get behind the wheel, his will gets done. Right? Sometimes the, the girl who decided to step out of her marriage, sometimes the child who ran away. All sorts of competing wills all the time here on earth. And that's not to say God isn't in control because he is. Right? And there is a real sense in which everything that happens here passes through his permission. But he decided when he created us that his permission would include our free will. Our free will is just capable of all kinds of brokenness. And it's capable of all kinds of goodness too, by the way. But that's a sermon for another day. And I think, frankly, the, question, the answer to the question why more often than not is just because. And that's really unsatisfying. It's a really unsatisfying answer. So we got to get off of why. Like if you're going through something right now, get off of why as quickly as you can. Because there's some other more helpful questions that I want to look at that are really going to speak uh, to what you're, you're dealing with right now. And the first one of those is this, where? Where is God right now? Or maybe more accurately, the root of this question is, does God even care? Does he even care? Do you even care what's happening to me right, God, right now, God? Because it doesn't feel like you do. It does not feel like you do. And that's why feelings are such a problem. Right? And in this cultural moment, we're told that our feelings should lead the way. But our feelings are liars. Our feelings can be liars because it doesn't feel like he's with us in trouble. In fact, when tough times come, it often feels like he's absent. It often feels like he doesn't care. And maybe... He isn't even real. Has anyone gone there? There's a great book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. I would encourage all of you to read it. And this quote comes from it. He says, if you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one reason will be suffering. If you ask people who believe in God when they grew most spiritually, the number one answer will be suffering. Though we might not feel like God cares, 
when we suffer. The truth, capital T, truth, is the exact opposite. Right? The gospel, the good news, is all about how much God cares for us. It's all about the lengths that he'll go to to be with us in our pain. When our feelings betray us, we need to look to God's word. That reminds us of the answer to the question, where is God right now? Is that he's right here. He's right here. Look at what it says in Psalm 23, 4. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, say it with me, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or Romans 8, 38, 9. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news, y'all. That is a promise. He's right there with you. Our God is a God who comes close. Our God is a God who draws near. He stands firm. That's what the Bible tells us. Because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. If you ever find yourself questioning whether or not God cares for you, I would say all you have to do is look to the cross. Right? The cross is the ultimate example of how much God cares for you. And the cross actually defines the character of God. For eternity, the cross defines his character. And here's a tough truth, and here's another tough truth. On a morning of tough truths, are you still with me? Are you tracking with me today? Because I think this is important. God wants the cross to define your character too. Right? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He is sometimes just not satisfied uh, to let us keep living this life with the attitude uh, the character or the habits that we have today. He's not satisfied with it. He wants more for us. And he actually wants to crucify some of those things in us. Which brings us to our next question. What is God doing right now? So God is here with me. Even though I don't feel it, I'll believe it because your word tells me God. So I know you're here with me in this. But what are you doing? Are you trying to teach me something? Are you trying to tell me something? Are you trying to change something in me? These are the right questions. Let's get back to our key verse today. James chapter 1, 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You may never know why you're going through what you're going through, because why is just not the right question. The why doesn't really matter, honestly, but the what does. And what is happening every time you face trouble in this life? Look, it says it in that, in that scripture. Can you bring that back up, Kim? That's the one. What is happening every time you face trouble in your, this life? The first word's in yellow. Your faith is being tested. Your faith is being tested. God may not have led you into this particular wilderness, but he is never above using it to strengthen your faith, to purify your heart, 
and to create in you the kind of character he's after because he's just way more concerned with your character than your comfort. He just is. And strong character isn't built by easy times. It is not built by easy times. No one ever had to persevere through a delicious meal. Right? Oh, I can't possibly have another bite of this delicious beef tenderloin. Or a fat bank account. No one ever learned humility by winning all the time. And no one ever learned mercy or grace by never having to be shown mercy or grace. It's not built by easy times. God will use hard times to test your faith because he wants to produce in you something. He wants to produce in you, Scripture says, endurance. The NIV says perseverance. The ESV says steadfastness. So that, James says, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And what does James mean by perfect? The word perfect is really important to James, actually. He repeats it seven times throughout his letter. He says, life is hard, suffering will happen, but it can produce within us perseverance and the type of faith that is perfect. That word perfect in Hebrew is temim, or in Greek it's teleios. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. But it actually means wholeness rather than perfection. It refers to living a completely integrated life where our values match our actions and vice versa. So God wants to use trouble, church, today not to tear you down, not to break you apart, but to make you whole. He wants to achieve in you the kind of character that is so confident in who he is and so confident in who you or I am in God, that nothing can ever take us down. That's what he wants to use your particular trouble for. And this is the kind of character God intended for us from the very beginning. And then we made a huge mess of it. And he's been slowly, kind of lovingly, painstakingly trying to restore us to that ever since. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis in in a beautiful book called The Problem of Pain. And he says, we are, not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art. Something that God is making. It's an ongoing process. And therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. Great artists, church, they're not satisfied with first drafts. Right? They redraw, they refine, they revise over and over again until the beauty of the thing on the page matches the beauty of the thing that they had in their mind's eye from the beginning. And God is no different with us. In fact, he is the original artist. And we are way more than canvas and stone. There's another famous quote by uh, the Renaissance artist, Michelangelo. Let's put that back up on the screen. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. I think this is how God sees us. Not as we are, but as we could be. Don't get me wrong, he loves you as you are. Right? He's not asking you to prove yourself to him in any way. You don't need to. But he sees much more for you. And just like Michelangelo, who's kind of hammering and chiseling at that stone until he sets that angel free, God will use trouble and trial and pain and suffering to hammer away at us. He just will, until the beauty that he always saw within us is revealed. But I want you to remember today, church, that it's important 
to know that in all of this, like if you're facing something right now, he's not punishing you. He is not punishing you. Trouble is never a sign that God is mad at us. It's never a sign that he's disappointed in us or that he doesn't care for us. In fact, it's just the opposite. Wrap that around your mind. It's just the opposite. Look at what the Bible says. Hebrews 12, 5 to 8 says, Have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. Discipline is not punishment. It's actually the root word for the word discipleship. It's training and it doesn't always come when you've done something wrong. But God will always use it to make wrong things right. Amen? Amen. Okay, one last question and we'll be done. Are you guys still with me? I know it's a bit heavy, but I think it's good, and I think there's going to be some hope here at the end of it when we get to it. Uh, slide number 14, let's bring that up. How should we respond? This is the final question. How should we respond? Or should we put a goofy smile on our face? Go around telling everyone we're so joyful? Because James said I should be joyful in trouble, and so here I am being joyful. <laughs> and I'm dying inside. <laughs> no. Right, what did Jesus do at the tomb of Lazarus? He wept. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. So be sad. Be angry. Be brokenhearted. It's tough. It hurts. So be whatever you need to be. It's okay. Just don't let, hear me, do not let your emotional turmoil rob you of the thing God wants to produce in you by causing you to care, question his character. Don't let it happen. But I want to leave you with three things that I hope will help you do that. Three R's. And the first one is remember. Remember God's character. God's character never changes. He is always good. He's always kind. He's always merciful. He's always gracious. He's always loving, always steadfast, slow to anger, quick to forgive. And he is still those things in the midst of dark times. And though we may start to see him differently, we must remember that he is not different. He is not different. How do we do this? Scripture is the best place to start. We've looked at a bunch of it here today. Shay led us through some amazing scripture during worship today that declared some of those things. But outside of scripture, we need to look at our own experiences. We need to look at our own past experiences and the experiences of those around us who have gone through tough times and come to the other side. We need to look at our testimony. Like if you haven't gone through anything in your life yet, if you're young enough that you haven't gone through anything significantly troublesome in your life today, you can look to the people around you who have, who God has guided through to inspire and sustain you when you face trouble, because you will. Revelation 12:11 says that we overcome our adversary by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. They work together, y'all. They work together to overcome. 
Never underestimate the power of your testimony. See, there's a reason God, he frequently commanded throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, whenever he worked on behalf of the Jewish nation, he would often command that the leaders erect some kind of memorial or pile of stones to indicate what he had done. Why did he do that? Because he knew his creation. He knew that we would forget. He knew that he would lead people out of Egypt by a pillar of fire and through the Red Sea, and then they would make a graven image of a golden calf and worship another god. So he marks our journey with testimony to be used to benefit and encourage you and the people around you. Number two, rest. Rest in God's promises. We sang about this earlier. When your confidence in you gets shaken, put your confidence in him and the things he's already spoken over you. And remember that every promise is yes and amen in Christ. And that when you come to the end of yourself, because that's what trouble does, it brings us to the end of ourselves. You've only just begun to touch that endless depth of an almighty God who loves you more than you can imagine. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. Because that ground is secure. That ground is immovable. So rest in his promises today. And finally, I want to wrap up with this one. Remain in God's word. In the end, we always have to look to Jesus. This is church. Jesus is always the answer. Anything that matters in life, Jesus is the answer. And when Jesus faced his own testing in the wilderness, what did he do? Right in Matthew, when he's led out into the wilderness and the the devil comes and tempts him, Jesus just comes at him time and time again with scripture. And he defeats the adversary in that moment. He had a verse for everything the devil threw at him, right? The devil says, if you're hungry, why don't you make some bread? Eat it. Jesus says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the word of God. The devil takes him to a high height and says, jump. Doesn't it say that the angels will save you? Jesus says, you shouldn't put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. The devil takes him to a mountaintop and he says, all of this I will give you, every kingdom on earth, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, it's written that you should worship God alone. Every time the devil came at him, he had something for him. And we know, I mean, we know the wilderness was far from his only test. His betrayal, his suffering, his crucifixion, it still dominated his future at that time. The cross loomed large on the horizon and the cost of his obedience was the highest anyone could pay. Did he face that trial without anguish? Without sorrow? Without anger even? Or a few second thoughts? Or a question or two to the Father? No. In the garden, Matthew records Jesus as saying, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Three times he prayed to the Father, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet your will be done, not mine. Three times, drops of blood just collecting with the tears on his face as he finally came to terms with what what it was gonna mean for him to humble himself. 
in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. And this is a question I want to leave you with today, church. Did he consider this an opportunity for joy in this moment? Yes. Do you know how I know that? Scripture. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is what I want you to see. For the, say it with me, joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In his pain, in his anguish, in his suffering, Jesus still saw the opportunity for joy that lay on the other side of his perseverance. Do you know today what that joy was? It was you, and it was me. The joy on the other side of Jesus' trouble was relationship with us and salvation for us. Our salvation, our restoration to the Father was Christ's opportunity for joy. So I'll leave you with this today, church, and thank you. I know it's been heavy. I hope it's been helpful. Consider Jesus in your trial. All that he endured for your sake and for my sake so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Your opportunity for joy could be just around the corner. You stand with me. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're so thankful, God for your perseverance, a model of perseverance that shows us and tells us that even when we are facing the most difficult thing anyone could ever possibly face, that we serve and worship a God who will always work the bad for good, a God who keeps his promises, a God who operates in truth in the midst of so many lies. And so, Holy Spirit, as we close today, I just invite your presence to come, Lord. Just come and speak to the broken hearts in this room today. Speak to the broken hearts online today, God. Remind them of who you are. Remind them of your character, God. Remind them of your promises over them, God. Remind them of all that you endured so that we could be set free so that we could experience relationship for the, with the Father, so that we could walk in victory even in our times in tr of trouble. And God, give us the supernatural ability to consider it an opportunity for joy whenever we face troubles of any kind because we know that you're working on our behalf, God, because we know that you are, you love us so much, God that you want to produce in us that kind of character that is so confident in who you are and so confident in who we are in you that we cannot be shaken, God. And so we say, God, not without a little fear, not without a little trepidation, come and shake what can be shaken in our lives, God. 
come and shake what can be shaken in our lives so that only you will remain, that firm foundation. May we, like Spurgeon, be able to say, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. Because there is where we find our true peace, true contentment, and true joy. Teach us and lead us in this way, God. Encourage our hearts today. Let the one who is downtrodden, let the one who is feeling hopeless, let the one who is feeling despair be encouraged by the fact, the truth, that you are with them, that you're walking with them. You may even be carrying them in this moment, God, because you care for us. So we love you, God. We thank you for the truth we find in your word today, even when it's tough. And we just invite you to keep uh, revealing the depth of the truth in this word as we continue throughout our week. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen.